My guest in the studio today is a singer, songwriter, producer, has worked with some awesome artists, multi-award winning, Stone Paxton. Triple C in the house. <laughs> Stone Paxton in the house. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing? Yes. Yes. So nice to meet you, Triple C. Let me tell you something. I've heard so much, so many great things about you, and it's an honor to be on your show being interviewed by you. Oh, thank you very much. And I'm honored as well. As I said, you have worked with some great people, some of my favorite artists as well. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, like who? Like who? Name some. Christopher Williams. Chris will be here tomorrow, too, as a matter of fact. Yeah, he would have been he, he would have been here right now, but he'll be here in the studio tomorrow. Oh no! Tell you what, when he came out in the nineties, I think every woman in the UK went back. Everyone, <laughs> 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 it was like, who is this guy? You guys were stuck, huh? Oh, God, please. I don't know if he knew the kind of response he was getting from the females over here. I don't think he I don't think he knew, but I'm definitely going to tell him. Oh, no, definitely. It was him and Albie Shaw. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Came out within, I'm not sure, but I think it might be months of each other. Yeah, they came out around the same time. You're 100% correct. Yeah, so they had that same sort of look. Yes, they did. People, Some people actually thought they were brothers. Uh, they did look alike, but that whole 90s era of when they came out and the, the way they dressed, the way they looked, people just went mad. Also, wow. you also did some work with uh, Teddy Riley from Black Street as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I used to work for a production company called Grand Jury Entertainment, which was a division of uh, Interscope, and they had imprint deals at Interscope and Warner Brothers, so we did a lot of remixes for a lot of the Teddy Riley stuff. It was like five producers over there, so we would all work on the remixes together, and yeah, and that gave me an opportunity to, to be around Teddy earlier on back then when I was younger, which was cool because I always idolized Teddy as a... Um, composer and producer and it's real weird because I actually just told him that uh, uh, last year he invited me over for Thanksgiving and um, and I told him hey Teddy you know you always inspired me man you're the reason why I always wanted to continue to be a composer and producer I didn't really care about being an artist but I wanted even though I was an artist but I really was interested in being a producer because of Teddy and he was shocked that I said that but I was like yeah man you're the reason why <laughs> I inspire you know so it, it's just, it's beautiful. It was beautiful to be able to um, to still sit with him even now to this day and to talk to him and interact and text back and forth and chop it up about studio equipment and new technology. Can we take it back? Because I read, <laughs> did you get signed at 17? I was 16 and we, we, we were signed to, um, it was a management company called Dick Scott Entertainment. And they had the new kids on the block. New Kids on the Block was like the biggest act. Well, I'm not going to say that. That would be kind of rude. They had Brenda K. Starr. They had Dougie Fresh, Ready for the World. And New Kids on the Block was a new group that nobody knew was going to blow up as big as the Beatles. 
And they also managed them as well as having the group that I was with at the time. So that was like the beginning of my, uh, the inception of my whole career was that. That was it. What were you doing before you got signed? Did you go through the church? Um, my mother was an evangelist. So I played drums in church, sang in church. I was in band since elementary school and band throughout high school to college so it's always been music even before I had the record deal I was always that was something I grew up you know this is something my parents had me doing and band earlier on started playing drums at six years old playing in church and then of course you know my aunt put me in band and I stayed in band until throughout college. Do you come from a musical family? Oh yeah, my whole family. Everybody sings, plays instruments. Yeah, it's just like, it's like being when you're at home, it's like a mini concert, you know? <laughs> Did you ever think, I don't want to go down that route? Did you ever think, I don't want to do what my parents or my aunt? No, um, because it's kind of like, I tell you, let me tell you the first time I knew I wanted to be an artist. So I was already a musician, right? And this is what really did it for me. I've never told, you're the first person I'm telling this story to because Nobody's ever asked that exact question. Did I ever wanted to think about being an artist or did I want to go another way? Even though I was in church singing every Sunday and playing drums, I still never really cared about being a singer. I think I was like six or seven. And I remember my aunt went to work and there was some vinyl sitting. It was around Christmas time. There was some vinyl sitting under the stereo and it was the Jacksons mm -hmm. Christmas album. And I put that Christmas album on, and there's two things that happened that really made me go, hey, I want to do this. I'm already doing music anyway, I want, and I can sing. I can do this. So I put on the Jacksons album, and it was that Christmas album that really gave me this inspiration. Just hearing Michael's voice did something for me because I kind of found myself in that Christmas album. Like I felt like that was me because my voice used to be really, really high when I was a kid naturally and when I heard it I was like oh that might, reminds me of myself when I sing in church and then a week later I saw a new edition doing the um, I forgot what song their first single and that's when I knew I said you know what this is what I want to do I, I want to be an artist and that was something I said to myself I didn't tell anybody else that was my mission from that point like I want to be an artist that that's it oh, that's what I want to do I'm already doing music I know I can do this, and that was it. Time. So that was a cool question. <laughs> it's funny that every other question probably got out my head now. Yeah. <laughs> How many instruments can you play? Because I thought I read that were you a guitarist? I play guitar. I don't call myself a guitarist, but I can play guitar. What do you call yourself? You know, a drummer, vocalist, keys. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those humble guys. I don't toot my horn too loud because I don't like to, you know, when you got to deliver, people expect so much out of you. So I tell people I am a musician. I, I play multiple instruments. I mean, I'm the kind I'll pick up a harmonica and, and in a week I, I can play it. I mean, by the way, I do play harmonica too. But for instance, like lately, mm -hmm. I said I'm going to go get a, a trumpet. A pocket trumpet. And I say, I'm going to start playing trumpet. Now, I grew up in band, high school band and all that. So music theory is music theory. So once you understand music theory, if you pick up an instrument and you just spend a little time with it, you'll get it. Even if you don't know music theory, you can still, you dedicate that time. So 
Right now, I play at least about five different instruments and counting because I'm constantly pushing myself um, to learn a new instrument, you know? How long did you sing before you decided that you wanted to take it in a, in a different direction? Well, I wouldn't say a different direction because you still sing. So add to your, um, what's the word I'm looking for? My resume. Your resume. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I needed Goldfinger had to help me over here. He had to come and help me, Goldfinger. Um, I've kind of always been a producer. I didn't know it at the time, but I used to sit in my room with this little Casio keyboard. And I think this had to be around the age. I think my first little keyboard was, I was 13, 14. And I used to sit and just create these little tracks trying to create my own music. Didn't know what I was doing, but I would sit around and just create these little corny little melodies and I would sing these little songs about girls, you know, and <laughs> and um, and I'm trying to remember one of the songs I wrote, if I can remember it. It's been so long. God, I can't remember it. Uh, it was so cute, though. But And then finally, okay, that was 13 out of Casio, and I think about 14, my aunt, she had, she got me this machine called the Akai MPC. It was the, no, it was a Roger Lynn, the Lynn drum. Because okay. Akai hadn't come out yet. Because Akai didn't come out until like 88. Mm. So before then, Roger Lynn, who is the guy who stamped his name on the machine, who kind of came up with that machine, um, he had the Roger Lynn, the Lynn drum. That's what Prince used on 777-9311, those drums you hear? Yeah. That was a Lindrum sequencer. So she got me that. And that thing was like really expensive then. Like now that I look back at it, she had to believe in me because she bought me all my instruments to be in band. And that thing at the time costed almost $2,000. And we're talking about the early 80s. So that was pretty expensive, especially for African-Americans to spend. They weren't spending money like that on their kids. You know what I mean? So that was a machine that was my introduction to music production. And then after that, she got me the MPC 60, which was in 1988. And I, to this day, I still use those machines to actually arrange, write and arrange my music, which if you're wondering what that machine is, if you ever seen Rodney Jerkins or Babyface composing in the studio or Dallas Austin or Jermaine Dupree, these are the machines you'll see them. They have a machine sitting next to the piano. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yes, it, it's an incredible machine. And it allows you pretty much, it's like a band in the box. I can be I can be the, the drummer, the keyboard player, hmm. the bass player, I can be everything. This machine allows me to put all my ideas together in one place. So that was the introduction of me as a composer, producer. And that just, it was something exciting about that. And I just happened to be a singer. That was just an extra bonus, you know what I mean? When you're creating, where do you start? Do you start with a melody? Do you start with, do you see something and then that inspires you to write a song? How do you actually put it all together? There's multiple ways, because sometimes I'll pick up my acoustic guitar because I'll sleep with it, right? If I'm really in this crazy mood, I'll put my acoustic guitar in the bed with me. <laughs> and um, because I'll wake up with these melodies in my head, right? And then. And then I play these melodies and sometimes I'll run downstairs to the studio because my studio is in the basement. And then I'll take that melody and convert it to piano or I'll plug my guitar right in to the recorder and start recording the basic guitar melody and then build the rest of the track. So I have a few different ways I do it. 
I use the guitar sometimes. There's times where I use the piano. And there's times where I create the drum rhythm with no melody. But I hear the melody and the rhythm, see, which is weird because a lot of people don't get that. They say, what do you mean you hear the, the um, drums and the rhythm? I say, I mean, the melody. I say, yeah, I hear melodies and rhythm. Um, and a lot of people think that that's crazy, but I hear melodies and rhythm. I can't explain to you why, but that's my ear. Everybody's got their little vices. I mean, even when I do things, I, because I'm visual, every, yes. I see everything in my head before I do certain things. If I'm planning an event, it always has to run through my mind first before I actually go and put it down on paper see. or before it goes anywhere else. I play it out in my, in my mind first. I don't know. See, that's the artist in you. That's the artist element in you. From the age of four or five, my mum put us into dance school. So we've always had that in our background up until I was about 18 years old. Jazz, ballet, contemporary. We danced, me and my sisters, all the way, oh, wow. all the way through school. That's what I wanted to be, but I injured my knees. So you can get, so you can get down then. Oh, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I do watch it. There are competitions on TV or musicals, but that's as far as it goes for me anyway. And then I switched back to music, been music ever since. So, and then decided, well, hey, let's give it a go on the radio. And here I am sitting here talking to you, which I thought I'd never do. Um, that's a awesome form of art still. I mean, you know what? Because of what you do, mm. you create enough focus and attention on artists that have great art to deliver to the world. Were it not for yourself and people like yourself who have shows like this, artists would just have to work that much harder to try to, you know, create exposure for themselves. So this, I mean this is very important. Especially now where you're not being able to perform and artists are trying to find other means of surviving, keeping their art alive. Working hand in hand does make that a little bit easier because I've spoken to some artists and some can't find a way to move forward and others it's kind of been a blessing because it's been able to open them up to other things, finding different ways of doing things, I either by video, like using Facebook Live, Instagram, things that they would never do prior. Have, is that the case with you or are you just still on the same path? Well, me, now that's where I'm, I, I kind of defer from most artists. Mm. I've always been the outside of the box guy. Okay. Always. Mm -hmm. You know, so I have always been the guy that when a person was doing this or weren't doing it, I was the one that was doing it. Mm -hmm. So I've always been on this social media when MySpace was happening. I was oh, launched the situation. You remember MySpace, <laughs> right? I remember MySpace. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, okay, so as an artist, you can't always think that things are gonna always be the same way they were. You have to always be prepared to go outside the box and be prepared to say, okay, let me 
create another opportunity for myself. Like, okay, once it used to be flyers, POPs and all that stuff, right? So as soon as Facebook happened, artists start thinking that all you have to do is Facebook and Instagram and you don't need to do anything else. And I tell artists wrong. You got to now what you do is you take the Facebook and Instagram and you use that as an extra tool. But you still need to do the flyers. You still need to do the posters. But you know what? Do you realize that artists don't even do this anymore? It doesn't really surprise me that they don't. When my kids were younger, I used to design flyers for for clubs and raves for promoters. And one of the reasons why I stopped doing it was because Facebook came along. And as soon as Facebook came along and everybody saw, well, you know what, we don't need to pay. And it came down to money. We don't need to pay to put our flyers out on the street because we can advertise it free on Facebook. You know, a lot of designers, the work started going down, but lucky enough, there were other avenues to earn money. But so that doesn't surprise me in the least that they... So you were smart at reinventing yourself. Well, I had to because yeah. it was either I, I sat back and did nothing or I had to look for other avenues of making an income. You know, I didn't like Facebook when it first came out and I literally refused. I refused to go on Facebook. But now I, I didn't either. I, I agree with you 100%. I was the same way, but I knew that I had to take the lesser with the evil. I was like, I have to make this work. I'm an artist. Like, I, I got, can't look at it like this. I have to look at it. I'm not on here for girls. I'm not on here for a relationship, but I am on here for business. So I have to take this situation and turn it into something that's going to work for me. That's it. And being a guy in his 50s, being able to take it, you know, because the younger people know. I mean, I know people in their 50s that don't even know how to use their phone. They always ask their grandkids, hey, um, how do you do this? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I never want to I never want to be that 50 year old guy. <laughs> <laughs> like when I see people in the store and that happens, it scares me. I've never been afraid of technology. And not everybody can gravitate towards Facebook and Insta Instagram and Twitter. They are the tools of the trade nowadays. They are tools that you have to get your head around, especially where you can't go out, you can't travel, and they are the only tools you've got left to connect with your audience. You have yes. to learn how to use them to keep engaged with your audience so that they can hear what you're putting out. Absolutely. And you still have to use those old school elements. As well. Which yeah. which most artists just don't, they don't believe in it. But then they always ask me, well, you know, because most guys don't think I'm in my 50s, number one, most of these young people. And they say, well, how do you, how are you able to, I notice you're always this and you're always that and your streams and that and you're doing this and doing that. And I say, well, I mean, how bad do you want success? How bad do you want to continue to to showcase your music? I understand that my music, that I'm a vessel. And this is why I operate the way I do. I tell artists, I said, look, some people are sent here to be ministers, some preachers, some doctors and lawyers. I'm sent here to be, I was sent here, I know, to be an artist, composer, arranger. My job is by any means to make sure that my music gets out to those that it can touch, who might be going through something that 
one song could change the thought of them doing something they shouldn't do. That's my job. So I take it that serious because I was sent here to do it. And I, and I tell artists, so you got to look at it like that. So you got to work hard for yourself. You have to look at this like a career, not a job. Like if you look at it like a job, we get lazy sometimes. We don't want to go to work, right? The honest truth, right? Sometimes when you feel like you got to go to work, you try to figure out a lie to tell your boss. Like, man, I'm going to tell him I'm sick. And, and you know, the boss can always tell when you make that sick call. Hey, boss, uh, I'm in bed right now, boss. I don't feel... <laughs> but, that, but that whole concept of having to lie, it means that you really don't love what you do. You're just doing it to pay some bills. With a career, it's a passion about it. It's, it's, like, it's like a relationship. I tell artists a career is a relationship. It's just like being married. You're going to go 100% hard with that because you know that you're putting in something you're going to get back when you see that smile from your significant other's face. Same feeling you get from your accomplishments with your music. So treat it like you really want it. No excuses. There's no excuses for artists not to be successful these days. When I was younger coming up, it was... Oh my goodness, it was a hundred times harder. Now with social media, the digital distribution, all the digital radio stations and bloggers, there's no excuse, none. You just have to apply yourself. That's it. Reach out and touch them. Get in touch with them. You have a new single out, Happy People. I think it is a track that is needed at this present time. What made you do that particular song or release it at this particular time? Okay, so I released my last album December the 16th, 2019. So that album, I literally was able to push that album for almost a year, mm. the way I worked it. So this album supposed to have dropped January of uh, 2020. But it didn't. So that song is almost a year old. Oh, okay. I wrote this song before the COVID had even happened. Well, you know what? What do they say? Nothing before it's time. Right. So it's, I had a vision of this song. Mm. And so most of my songs are always, because I'm so tapped into the spiritual element. I'm a Buddhist. so, And I meditate sometimes seven times a day. But I'm so in tune with the earth, the wind, the water, sunshine. I'm so in tune that I follow those movements. So when something wakes me up and says, well, today you have to write a song like this. I used to ask why I don't do that anymore. So happy people came to me. I was like watching all the crazy stuff happening in this world. And it's really an extension from where my last album left off because my last album was entitled um, In the Key of Love. Everything I do is all about awakening, you know, people's responsibility to love and to respect each other. I, was, I don't know anything else. You know what I'm saying? Triple C. It's like you too. You were raised with love and respect. The earlier African-Americans, excuse me, Africans that are in the UK, all over the world in, in America, the earlier, when we were younger with our parents, earlier on, they raised us off of respect morality. Now, I don't know what's going on. 
I, all I know is it's not the same. So this is all you know, and this is all I know. We can't we can't really talk about stuff that we don't know. We don't know how to hate because we weren't taught that. All I know is how to love because that's all I was taught. These days, this younger generation, they have so much hate in their heart. And, and they weren't even taught that by their parents. They just never got it from their parents. So they got it from the streets. So they acquired that. By passing, they acquired that and they kept it. So I said, okay, I'm responsible as an artist. Why be an artist and you're not talking about anything? What is your real purpose for being an artist? To pick up girls, to get money? Because your legacy, when you leave, you're going to think about, if we were on our dying bed right now, there's only a few things we worry about. This is how I analyze my life. We would want to apologize to all those that we did wrong. We would talk about, because I've watched my family members do this, God rest their soul. We talk about all the things we didn't get a chance to do. And if we would want to live one more day just to see that sun come up, we wouldn't even want to see it go down. We just want to see it come up. So these are the things that we're conscious enough to remember these things. It'll, it will hold us accountable every time because we'll think about, I always tell people, act like you're on your last day on this earth. And I promise you, you will be careful about how you walk. So happy people. I start seeing all this crazy stuff on my last album. I had a song called Karma. I think it's the last song on the album. And I was just seeing what's happening to African-Americans and people in general, but especially African-Americans. And after a while, I start saying, well, see, this is deeper than a black and white thing. This is what people don't understand. Triple C, I say this is biblical. Your people will suffer for the lack of knowledge. Let's go back to the Bible. That's what's going on right now. This is why these police can't understand why they're even doing what they're doing. They don't even know why. Probably the most honest thing I saw police say, he shot this guy in Florida in the butt. And the guy lived. And they asked the police, why did you do that? You know what he said? I don't know. That was probably the most honest thing I'd ever heard a police officer say. But that's when I understood this is a spiritual war and we're suffering because of that. So I said, Stone Paxton will speak through his music. And if you don't like what I'm saying, you can turn it off. I don't care. I will be a vessel for greatness and understanding. So happy people. I said, I need to pick up where In the Key of Love left off. The next album is called Kundalini Awakening. Now, how crazy is this? I titled this album in January. If we're not in the Kundalini Awakening right now, I don't know what. I mean, we are really in an awakening, are we not? We are. So it shocked me that I came up with that title with the first single called Happy People. I wanted to write a song so the opposite of what was going on and how powerful. I start thinking about rich people, right? Like, okay, what worries do rich people have? Well, all of my billionaire buddies, they worry about having to pay more taxes. Like, seriously, they stress over this. Like, oh my God, I have to pay almost a half a million in taxes. The worries that rich people have are different than the worries that poor people have. Poor people just want to eat another day and be able to pay the light bill, power, and, you know, be able to make sure the kids have food to eat, right? How are they going to get to work? So I said, but what do we all have in common, rich and poor, good or bad, and differences, black, white, purple, yellow, happiness or sadness? That's what we all have in common. I can't relate to being rich if I've never been rich. I can imagine it. But I've been happy and sad every day, right? We all have, whether we're rich or poor. So I said, when you're in love, you're happy. 
When you have money, you're happy. When you're poor, you're happy to have a little extra. So happiness fuels the greatest thing in the world, which is some of the most powerful energy because you can take 30 people and get them in a room and everybody's all excited and happy about the same thing and incredible things happen. That's why Henry Ford was able to be a elementary dropout and create such a successful company because all the people he had, he were able to get all of them to work in harmony and think as one. Can you imagine the happiness that had to happen at Ford Motor with all these incredible cars that he created to change the scope of the United States of America in America, in the world? So happy people truly make the world go round. Because if you think about it, you take away happiness, you only have sadness. So happiness is stronger than sadness. So even at our worst, there's a lot of people that, like, if I'm going through Triple C, you would never know I'm sad. Mm-hmm. You would never know because I don't show it. Because I understand there's power in being happy. Even if I have to pretend to be happy, I am telling the universe I want to be happy. So eventually it happens. So I wanted to show the power of what happiness can do. And when you have, you do, a, I call it the million happy march. If you get a million happy people marching for the same cause, you're going to win. So if I can put this psychology in people's head that happy people make the world go round, it's the real truth. Look at these people dancing in the street because Biden, not even because Biden's president, let's keep it 100% honest, because Trump is out of office. That's true. Very true. I mean, that's the, there's a lot of people just voted to get him out. They didn't even care about Biden. But now Biden has to prove to the people because he was given that presidency. Him and Kamala, they, it was given to him. I'm sure they know that by now. But look at the people, how happy they are. It was amazing. It was an amazing sight, even. Happy people make the world go around. It was fantastic. Right? I mean, wow. I didn't even realize what I was doing when I did this song. But now that I see what's going on, I said, this is almost like prophetic. The universe gave this to me. God gave this to me to write. And little did I know how important this song was going to be for this time. So then somebody asked me another question. They said, why do you release songs? Why did you release it during this time? I said, because at this time of year, you know, there's a shift in the equinox. And uh, more people die, more people get sick, more relationships go through the worst. Friendships break up, people fight. From this time until about February, It's a really tough time within the universe. And if you think about any of the worst things you've ever been through in your life, I promise you, if you sit back June, July, August, September, most of it started about the end of September through February. I promise you, go back and just dig into your past and think about some of the worst things you went through, stress, relationships, breakups with friends. It happened around this time of year because there's a shift in the universe every year. And if we're aware of that, then we can be prepared with our battle gear on so we can expect the unexpected. Most people forget it and then they repeat it. So I said, every year I gotta release a song around this time to increase the frequency. To increase the frequency of people's spirits, their minds to make them subconsciously aware. Hey, that's what I'm here for. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah, I totally get what you're Like, you're going to get off the phone later on and you're going to think, you're going to start scoping through your past and go, oh, my goodness. I know I am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I 
I totally am going to sit back and say, oh yeah, it happened then. Yeah, because this is when the, uh, the 12 houses of Zodiac, mm. when the, the equinox shift, this is when the craziest stuff happens. I tell people, take care of your body more around this time. Be more conscious of what you put in it. Be conscious of your health. We lose a lot of people around this time. It's just a very tough time of year. And I've already seen already my certain friends of mine have already been fighting with their significant others. And I, I, I had to call them back and say, hey, you remember what I told you about this time of year? Oh, my God, you did say that. Yeah, so don't fight. Just, just be aware and walk away. Because I'm giving you the battle gear to be prepared for this, this time of year. You just have to be prepared. If you're prepared, you know how to deal with it when it comes. Raise your frequency. We've got about two minutes left. We've been there. Girl, look, I can look, I can talk. Triple C, I can talk, I'm telling you. We might have to come back and finish this. I can talk, man. I honestly. But thank no joke. Thank you so much for joining me. I've had a blast. It's been an amazing insight into the world of Stone Paxton. You know what, there's so much more for us to find out about you, for our listeners to find out about you. So when you've got some yes. more free time, maybe we can do a part two. Yeah, because there's there's some other stuff I'd like to talk about. Things about my career you probably didn't know about the artist, Neo, how I was responsible for his career earlier on. Definitely catch up real soon. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank All right. Be good and be good. safe, okay? And you. Take care. Okay. Bye -bye. Ciao. Bye. <laughs>